0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be forever acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? I wonder how many hours have been spent in how many college dorm rooms by how many college freshmen late at night pondering this question. It's one of those conjectures that has probably sparked a million conversations, and I'm guessing that most of those conversations generated more heat than they did light. Not that heat is a bad thing. Especially on a morning like this in Jackson Hole, But heat does not illuminate. Light does that. So this morning, Dennis read for us the great prologue to the book of John. What a beautiful passage. It contains subtle theology wrapped in pure poetry, but for a passage that is all about light and the word, it may sound a little obscure. That's because John is talking about the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the nature of the Trinity. And these are hard things to talk about. But we have to talk about them, don't we, if we want to take our faith seriously. And yet words usually seem inadequate to the task. When words fail us, and yet we are so moved that we must express ourselves, people resort to different strategies. Some are moved to paint or sculpt. Some compose heartbreakingly beautiful music. Some dance. Ironically, when a poet encounters a reality too rich or powerful to express using ordinary words in ordinary ways, the poet, of course, uses words. But she uses ordinary words in extraordinary, surprising ways to shed new light to illuminate us. This is John's strategy in the opening sentences of his Gospel. I think it's so interesting and and in a way so brilliant, really, that on Christmas Eve, we hear the beautiful story of Jesus' birth as told in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke's way of telling us how that almost inexpressible event, God coming to humanity in human form, happened in a very specific time, in a very specific place in a manger because there was no room at the inn. We hear how this little baby was born to a young woman and how this baby became known to all people as God with us, Emmanuel, the Messiah. What an amazing story. Angels, a heavenly choir, sending the shepherds rushing to the manger to worship their Savior. It's a fully human story, almost visceral in its effect. Can't you see the angels, hear the heavenly host, smell the manger, and the fresh human baby wrapped in bands of cloth? Brilliantly, as a counterpoint, today we hear John's description of how Jesus came to the world. And this description, though no less poetic than Luke's, can hardly be more different. On Christmas Eve, we hear a narrative, a story. Today, we get... I don't know exactly what to call it. A poem? A treatise? Maybe it doesn't matter what we call it as long as we pay close attention to it and really try to hear it. In the beginning was the Word. Do we hear an echo there? The first act of God in the book of Genesis is to speak forth creation. God said let there be this, let there be that and there it was. God created by speaking. And God not only created, he valued creation by proclaiming it good. How can we humans possibly understand this creative God whose power is to express everything that exists? The Old Testament describing God's relationship to his chosen people, the Jews, in these sacred texts are the record of how the Jewish people came to understand the Creator and his action in the world. I think that the Old Testament reading in the Psalm today really expressed that beautifully. They describe a God of power and might, the giver of laws, not only the Creator, but the sustainer of life. We Christians believe that something extraordinary happened on that night in Bethlehem when that same God chose to enter into the world as one of us. How can this same God be wholly transcendent and apart from us and wholly present with us as the man Jesus? How can words even begin to express this mystery? These are challenges that John 2,000 years ago grappled with. And lest we take too much for granted, these are challenges that we should consider today. John opens with an echo of the very first words of the very first book of the Hebrew scripture. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. That's echoed by, in the beginning was the word. God's first creative act in Genesis was to speak light into existence. Let there be light. John tells us that Jesus, sharing in the very being and nature of God, was there at that moment when light was spoken into being. When light and darkness were separated into day and night. His nature is the nature of God, so he also participated in every act of creation and every pronouncement that creation is good. In fact, Jesus is so full of the nature of God that in and through him, life comes into the world. And life was not only the creative power of the word, but the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, John tells us. We know the rest of the story, don't we? And so did John. This beautiful, creative light of God that was transformed into a baby in a manger who grew to walk the Judean countryside spreading the light and love of God was rejected by his own people, by the religious and political powers that ruled the day. He spread light everywhere he went. He changed lives. He healed and fed those most in need and least valued. He taught and loved his people and taught his people how to love one another and how to love God and was hung on a cross and was killed for spreading the light. But we know, and John knew, the rest of the rest of the story. John tells us the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Death did not Overcome Death did not conquer the light. Death did not conquer Jesus because the light of God cannot be extinguished. We as Christians stand firm in the light of the resurrection because we know, as John knew, that to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the power to become children of God who were born not of the blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, But of God. It's not our will that leads us into the kingdom of God. It's not our inherent human nature that makes us good because we are so easily distracted from the light and lured into the shadow where things are indistinct and ambiguous. That's where most of our lives are lived I know that's where most of my life is lived, in the gray area where we have to choose what we will do and who we will be. John's great promise is that Jesus Christ, in his very nature, divine word and human flesh, came to us as an extravagant gift, full of grace and truth, and that we who have been fortunate enough to hear his word and receive him, have as our inheritance, as our birthright, been given grace and truth. What could be more welcome in this hard and complicated life than even a little bit of grace and truth? For me, most days, even a little bit of grace and truth goes a long way, and they are tremendous gifts. But John says in today's passage that we're selling ourselves short if we're satisfied with a little bit of grace. John says that if if we are able to receive Him in His fullness, from His fullness we receive grace upon grace. We receive life abundant. So, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? I don't know. I wasn't there not to hear it. And what difference does it make, anyway? But today, on this first Sunday after Christmas Day, none of us can say that we weren't here to hear the Word. The Word about the Word made flesh. And about how the light came into the darkness to spread grace and truth. We can ignore it if we choose. We can doubt it if we must. Or we can take a much more difficult tract and embrace it. But undeniably, today we heard the word. The question we are left with is, what now? How are we going to write the rest of the rest of this poem? Amen.